0: and I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because, as I always say, you have a story. You should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Hello, writers. This is Kat Caldwell, and you are listening to Pencils and Lipstick. Today is August 11th, as I write this, 2022. We are on episode 144 of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. We are almost to... Our third birthday. Um, lots of things are happening these days, both you know, in my life and in the publishing world. Quite a there's like a big lawsuit going on in the States where we might just see the big five become the big four, or the big four become the big three, or maybe let's just like have one publishing company <laughs> for the entire world or break them all up into 10, I don't know. There are lots of opinions out there on Penguin buying Shime, Simon & Schuster. Maybe it's the other way around. You can tell how much I have paid attention to this. I've been around for a couple different conversations and people's different opinions about it. But um, I don't know. I, You know, my philosophy is, as I try to stick to, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I understand people's different points of view on whether it might or might not be good. I think especially for the authors who are signed with those two companies, they're probably nervous and wondering what it will, you know, mean for them. And for that, I do not blame them. I would be as well. Um, As an indie author, you know, it's good to know what's going on in the traditional publishing world. Um, it does affect us still, I believe, but, um, you know, we can keep going on our merry way writing and publishing as they sort of figure that out. I think um, one person was correct that it it might influence the Amazon market space um, because they th- at least this writer's opinion was that it will sort of set Amazon up to be to have to license themselves as a publisher. You know, they're not technically part of the big five, but they should be in this person's opinion. And I don't know, once again, guys, I don't really have an opinion. Now, there are certain things to look out for. You know, Amazon does hold a large piece of the pie. Um, And in my personal life, and and it's always... A subject of conversation in the indie world, just Amazon um, in general and its role in our lives. So yes, that everything affects us, right? So the gatekeepers, as some of us call them, those in the publishing industry, um, they're still the gatekeepers, right? They have big publishing houses and Most of the publishing houses then have smaller publishing houses and you still need a literary agent for most of them. You know, they still pick and choose and it can feel really arbitrary, though I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they have their reasons and their whys and their know-hows on why they're picking certain books. Um, You know, they pay these advances. We were wondering the other day, like, how do they make money? Because everyone complains about the advances that they give out. They always give out, you know, kind of these giant advances to people because of their celebrity, almost like the people who don't need the advances. <laughs> you, know. you know who I mean, like these big names, they're usually nonfiction. They're usually some sort of memoir. Um, but I guess the public eats it up and I guess they'll sell the books and um, There is speculation that they don't make that money back. But I don't know because a business can't stay in business if they don't make their money back, right? So, but there is this sort of argument constantly on if they would pay smaller advances, they could publish a lot more people. (laughs) You know, they talk a big game about diversity and opening their doors to new writers and all that. But the truth is that their doors could be wider if they didn't pay such giant advances, if they gave smaller slices of the pie to more writers. But again, I have no control over that. There are quite a few different small publishers. And if you guys are looking to be traditionally published, um, there's nothing wrong with being published with a smaller press. Um, You know, there's, you don't have to be published by the big five to make it anywhere. You don't have to be published through a press to make it anywhere. There's lots, lots of success that we can see on both sides. And <laughs> there are still lots of writers working two jobs on both sides of the aisle, right? Whether you are traditionally published or indie published, there's a lot more that goes into it than a contract or query letter or uploading it to Amazon. Um, and just on the Amazon stream, you know, the Amazon game, Part of the problem I see of the Amazon game is that the big publishers and the little publishers who have money and have lots of workers and they have marketing departments and all this, they get to play the Amazon game, right? They get to put up the beautiful graphics and the pages and the book blurbs and all that, so... You know, it's we're always going to be at a slight disadvantage when we are indie authors and it's just us working or possibly us and one other person. Or, you know, I've talked to some writers who are much bigger than me and have many more books than me, and they might have a team of like two or three people plus them. But that's as big as I've ever talked to. So I don't know. There might be other indie authors out there that have a bigger team, but that still doesn't compare to a big publishing house or even a small publishing house so um you know being the small business people as indie authors are we're going to constantly be at a slight disadvantage but one of the disadvantages for the you know what we'll call the traditionally published industry is that they're a big giant and it's hard to get them moving forward Um, And that's the advantage I can see for us indie authors. We can spend our time as we want. We are our own CFO, CEO, COO, whatever other things there are out there in corporate America. Um, we, We can look where we want and spend time on webinars as we wish and make those decisions. You know, we can run ads where we want to. We can not run ads. We can sell direct from our website. We can do all the things and we can do that because we spend our time learning and seeing and growing and seeing where the market is heading. And then we get to be the CEO and make that decision. It doesn't have to run up the pipeline anywhere. Right. (laughs) So maybe there's some frustrated young people or maybe even like my age people in the publishing industry that are like, if we could just move forward, (laughs) we could just become a little more modern. Um, like they, they tried for years to get rid of the ebook, you know, they wanted people to read books, to buy books. And I do too. I love paper books, but you can't deny, um, that the e-reader is here to stay and lots of people love them. I love them, especially when I am traveling. And when I lived overseas, uh, I got to read so many books that I never would have found in a foreign country. So I will never give up my Kindle. In fact, I have one of the oldest Kindles. It's a 2000, oh, I think it's a 2011, actually. so in between, in between babies. And I don't think I was pregnant at the time. So yeah, might might be a 2012, but that's like the latest. So that's 10 years and it's still working. (laughs) So. Um, I'm almost actually waiting for it to die so that I can buy one of the Kobo ones because they're pretty cool. But, um, if you don't have an e-reader, maybe check out the Kobo e-reader because it's pretty awesome. Um, I like it better than the Kindle, but whatever (laughs) to each their own and mine is going strong. Um, so there's no getting rid of it anyway. Yeah. It still has like the five buttons. (laughs) It's like that old one. Um, it's not even a paper white. so anyway. Um, you know, if you're going to play that Amazon game as well, which we all are, most of us, um, you know, you might have like this moral, cringy feeling against Amazon, but the truth is they sell the most books. Now I am wide. I believe in being wide, but I totally understand people who don't want to be wide. It takes a little bit more work. Um, you have to keep up with reviews everywhere. You really have to push for reviews on every single individual site, I don't think I have any reviews on Barnes and Noble, like, because I I haven't really pushed that one, but it is there. You can find my books there, all of them. Um, on Kobo, I think I'm up to six reviews for the majority of them, which is great. Like that, that took a lot of pushing. (laughs) It took a lot of work to get just those six reviews, um, because a lot of promotions and things will link directly to Amazon. They, they have the advantage and, I don't know, as a small business owner, I'm just not ready to step away from that advantage, right? It it is where the majority of the readers are. And I don't feel like I should be judging them for being there. It's where our society is. So I'm also, um, I also understand why people want to leave. A friend of mine had a big issue with her Amazon account. Somebody, um, you know, claimed a copyright issue with her cover or, and you and that goes directly like Amazon will almost immediately side with the person who files a complaint whether it is true or not and then you have to you know go through the investigation and all that and this happens for so many things um so many indie authors sort of have these little tiny, I don't know, these, these little tiny squabbles with Amazon. And it does take a long time. The majority from what I've heard get, get, you know, ironed out and things get back to normal, but it's stressful. And it makes you realize that they do have a hold on your book and where you are selling it. Right. So if you are exclusively Amazon, if they pull your book out because somebody complains about something, um, you're going to lose sales and, That's about it because you won't have set up your book anywhere else. So, um, I will be looking at selling directly. I think I really like that idea. I love personally selling directly. I will be at three different arts and crafts fairs and one um, book fair this fall, and I'll be looking for more of those. I think it's really fun to talk to people and to see people and, um, yeah, to be like face to face, you know. But I also believe in. Us having like the piece of the pie of our art, our books, we spend a lot of time with, we spend a lot of hours on and calories burning over them. <laughs> it's just a lot of energy and it's a creative process and it can take a longer than we want it to. Um, some people are really good at it, not taking that long, but I I really want artists to get as much of the pie as possible from their creative endeavors And selling directly is probably the best way to do it. So, yes, I will be looking into selling directly. Of course, everything takes time and resources, meaning money. Um, But, you know, little by little, um, I think that you might, as an indie author, also think about it. And if you're going to think about it, Joanna Penn talks about it a couple times in her podcast, The Creative Penn Podcast couple other people are sort of dabbling in it as well. Um, so selling direct to your reader will will get you more money and it will get you more interaction with that reader. Remember when somebody buys something on Amazon, you don't get their name or their demographics or their email. You can't, you know, the only way you can get them to sign up for your email list is just to sort of entice them at the end of the book. Um, you don't have any access to what that person is like, um which I think is interesting because like maybe I'm targeting the wrong ideal reader, you know if if I could just get some information on those readers it does, you can you just have to go out and find them and pull them, and it it's a lot a lot of work, right that's that's what we do as indie authors. we work a lot um but whether you um Go to the traditional route, whether you sell on Amazon exclusively, whether you are wide, whether you are selling um, from your store, from your website, going out to book fairs. There are so many ways to sell, right? But one of the things that you need is, as an author, whether you're indie or traditionally published, is a good book blurb. Now, this week, and I'm talking like in two days as as when this episode drops, uh, I am doing my first writing book descriptions at sell workshop with Madison Michael. She is really good guys at figuring out book blurbs and finding those great verbs that you need because your book blurb should really be like what 175 to 250 words. It's not very many. So you need to really be concise and find the parts of the book that will pull people in and say, you know, tell them, don't you want to read more? And they'll then buy the book and take it home. So if you want to sign up for that, the link will be in the show notes. Even if you come in a little bit late, you can still sign up and get access to the recorded videos. Um, and you can still sign up and get a book blurb reviewed and edited by us. It's the next week, the 24th of August that we will be doing that live editing and reviewing of the book blurbs. Um, and we'll probably have another one. So just keep on the lookout for that. The best way to be on the lookout is to be on my newsletter, uh, my writer's newsletter, which is also has a link in the show notes. What do you know? (laughs) I also want to tell you guys a little bit about Publisher Rocket. Now, I have been looking at categories and keywords and genres for this Outside the Ring novel, which I'm already thinking it's you know, once again, not the greatest title, but I'm trying to find the genre for it because it is a contemporary novel. It is not a women's fiction because it's from the point of view of a man and it it's not a romance. It is a coming of age, but as an adult, and I think that's funny that a lot of the coming of age is in um, sort of the teen area, which is great. Of course, we have coming of age, but we have like Lots of points <laughs> along our life of we kind of come into our own and we mature and we find ourselves right, and that's just interesting that it's not really reflected in the bisex, which are those um, official uh, genre categories, and it's not really seen in the Amazon categories as well. So I have to go and I have to find these different categories and these different genres in which I can put this book in order for it to be successful. So. You know, I have, he's a boxer, an illegal boxer. <laughs> he's dealing with a, a sort of mobbish character, character, um, a mob character. He's dealing with a woman accusing him of being her baby's daddy and owing her money. He's dealing with not wanting to go back home, you know, go back to that place where um, he just grew up in sort of pain and poverty and Not wanting to deal with it. It deals with family saga, brother saga, um, parent sagas. It deals with maturing and and finding yourself, right? So it it deals with all these things. Like most novels, it deals with a lot of stuff. Um, Beating out your fears as an adult, right? We all have fears. Like this is not, these aren't just little kid things. So what do I do? I go into Publisher Racket. And I have to say, guys, I avoided buying publisher rocket for a while because you know i just thought that i couldn't afford it but quite frankly you can't really afford not to you can't afford not to have it there you go (laughs) so i'm looking at these different keywords boxing you know boxing and mobs that comes right up which is great i can go over and i can look um what are you know the Amazon searches? like how many Amazon searches are there? So boxing alone has less than a hundred searches a month. so that's not enough. I'm gonna have to look at other things um, putting in different keywords. so I would be wasting my time with that if I just put that there, right? So then I can look into like Rockstar and if I can find the um like the the perfect mix of keywords where people are like, oh, yeah, I want that book, you know. These are what, uh, what Publisher Rocket does is they pull up the keywords that actual users are looking for when they're looking at a book, right? So they're also looking at the category search and they look for the AMS keywords. Um, So I'm already looking at the category searches. So I'm going to have to be in the literature and fiction in the contemporary area. Um, And then I'm going to need to be in like the, contemporary family saga era area. And I'm gonna to have to look for a couple more because I've only have a list of five at the moment. Now, the, the greatest thing about Publisher Rocket is that it's really not that expensive, plus it has tutorials. <laughs> it will save you, it will save you not selling your book. That's the problem. It will sell, save you from using the wrong keywords and the wrong categories, which can put your book in a completely different spot And this is how that works. You know how when you look for a book, let's say, Where the Crawdads Sing, and then you scroll down, it says recommended. So they're pulling up books for you that sort of follow those keywords and follow those categories. And the more you click down, the more Amazon thinks it knows you, right? So you want your book to be recommended along the same lines as a book that other people like that's close to yours. You don't want your book to be recommended like this one. I wouldn't want recommended alongside like Kings and Sorcery because most likely that's a different reader, right? So that's how Publisher Rocket helps you. Now, the guys over at Publisher Racket are um, once again sponsoring the show. So there is a link in the show notes with a um, an affiliate link of mine. It doesn't cost you any more, but it also leads you over to this whole page in which you can find out more about Publisher Rocket. There's tons of tutorials. There's a very extensive blog over there and you can keep looking and reading all about why you need the keywords, why you need the categories, how you look for them, all these things. And there's testimonies. Um, I use it. I know Joanna Penn uses it. I know Mark Dawson over at his Amazon ads, uh, they use it. Lots of people use this because we are just one person as indie authors and we don't know everything, right? So we are very grateful to Dave Chesson and lots of other people who create these awesome um, software thingies that I would never be able to, to develop or even come up with. I'm grateful to them for that. So you guys check that out. In other news... For me, well, there's just no other news, guys. <laughs> Actually, today I dropped off my kids. They are gone for a full week. And interestingly enough, already the day is going by. So I have a few more hours to get out a, a um, newsletter. That's what I'm talking about. A newsletter. And if you're not on my newsletter, once again, you should be on my newsletter. The link is down in the show notes. And then I am going to write... That's what I'm going to do and possibly write up a blog post. I have another story in my head, but it's going to have to wait because I'm going to get this outside the ring done. Then I am going to move over to Dowser. And I know that I keep saying this, but you guys are keeping me accountable. So at the moment, I have about three more scenes that I have to get into outside the ring um, because they just weren't. Well, they just weren't up to par as I was rereading it. I am also going to be working on the courses that I'm going to be showcasing, showcasing offering in September. So if you want to find out more about those, once again, get on my writer's newsletter. And in fact, you will find a $50 off coupon in the newsletter. You have to be a newsletter follower to get that new, that newsletter $50 off. My courses, they are 10-week courses. They are going to be, I'm not gonna say time intensive, but they're gonna be learning intensive. You're gonna learn a lot. We're gonna go over the story um, that you have in your head or the book that you have written or mostly written. And those are two different categories. You can click on the link below in the show notes to find out more to head on over to the page where I even list out exactly what we're going to do every single week. And the courses will include a 30-page critique um, by me of your book. So for for more details on that, and they will be a little bit more forthcoming, get on my um, writer's newsletter. You will be the first one to find out more about that or click on the link and just sign up if you're ready to sign up. Today, I have an interview with you with Lisa Soled. Um, I'm excited for you guys to hear about her, and I'm excited to have her back on probably in a few more months, and we're going to talk about essay writing because she's done a lot of essay write, writings, she's had a lot of essays published, and I think that's interesting as well. But today, we are going to talk about her breakout debut novel, Shiva, a novel from memory. Today's episode is brought to you by Publisher Rockets. Do you know Publisher Rocket? It's one of my favorite tools. Publisher Rocket gives you the edge on Amazon KDP by finding profitable keywords and best-selling categories for your book. See what hungry readers search for on Amazon with Rocket, letting you optimize your seven KDP keywords for more sales. Not every keyword is effective, you know, and Rocket can show you which ones are searched for most, often are less competitive, and which ones earn more money. Plus with its AMS ads feature, Rocket generates thousands of advertising keywords in seconds, which will give you profitable keywords so that your ads can make an impact. And if you're going to spend money on Amazon ads, you want them to make an impact. With Rocket, you can discover applicable hidden categories that most authors don't know about on Amazon which will increase the chance that browsing shoppers stumble on your work and decrease your competition. Find out how many sales it takes to become a bestseller in each category, as well as how much other authors are earning off of their Amazon books every month. Not only that, but Rocket has a phenomenal support staff filled with real, experienced people to help you on your journey. Rocket comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee, so you can try it without any risk. It has a single fee with no subscription. My favorite thing these days. So you only have to pay once for full lifetime access to all its features. New readers can only enjoy your work if they find it among the thousands of other books published every day on Amazon. Great authors deserve to be read. So don't let your book languish in obscurity. Get your book noticed with Publisher Rocket. Now guys, Publisher Rocket is one of those tools that... I avoided buying for the longest time, and I highly regret it. I don't know why I was really, really tight budgeted in the beginning, but Publisher Rocket is an amazing tool. I highly suggest you check it out. There is going to be a link below in the show notes for you to check it out. And as they say, there is a 30-day no-questions-asked guarantee, but more than that, They have videos on how to use it properly, tons of suggestions. They're really great over there. You can make sure that you use your keywords correctly, your categories correctly, so that your book can just bump up from, you know, wherever it is in the black hole of Amazon, right up in front of the correct reader's face so that they can find it, they can read it, they can review it, and you can keep selling more books check out the links below to find Publisher Rocket. Find out more information. There's also going to be a link to a blog post which will give you even more information about it below in the show notes. Today I have with me Lisa Soled. Lisa says of her latest book, Shiva, a novel for memory, But sometime during the 15 year journey towards my mother's death from Alzheimer's, I began to write a more intimate personal novel than I have ever had before. Shiva is subtitled, a novel from memory because it builds on the real pain of the events, but allowed me to step back and imagine the life my mother could have had rather than the one she did, Lisa said. This is Lisa's debut novel, though she is no stranger to writing. She has worked as a newspaper journalist, has written several nonfiction essays and short stories. She's featured in many anthologies, and she has written four other novels who have been shortlisted for several novel fiction prizes. Hello everyone, welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. Today I have with me Lisa Solid. She is a writer who has quite a history of writing behind her so I'm excited to talk to her about a few different things um, today we're gonna start out with her latest book called Shiva a novel from memory so welcome Lisa thank you um, I'm I'm excited to hear about this book because it's it's like it's Heart memoir, like we were saying, like a little bit based on real life, you know mm-hmm. tough, difficult situation, and um, you fictionalize it, which I think is is an an option for a lot of people who want to do you know something that's very close to them. Um, but why did you choose to fictionalize this um, this experience that you had with your mother?
1: Well, um frankly, I'm not a huge
0: Oh, this is very controversial.
1: I'm not a huge fan of the um, trauma memoir. Okay. I think that, uh, and I know I understand it's it's sellable. Some of them are great. I've, I've read some, but I I think I was sort of way beyond the point of trauma mm. by the time my mother got ill. I had done the hard work of separating uh, myself from her and her. Actions from my own reaction, right, and so writing a novel based on that allowed me to have distance uh, in a way that I couldn't have if I had just done straight memoir. I wanted to because I wrote it over the period of time that she had the disease, which was quite extensive, I wanted to be able to look over mm. it and uh, think about. The things, the things that would come to me and, and I, one of the things that's very prominent in the book was how she would have felt had she seen what was happening to her. Uh, And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about her past life, her present life, what was no longer her future life. And it seemed like I had a mission in some sense to try to figure her out based on the information I have, which had stopped. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, um, and I really like books that talk about science and faith and history, and they they put those things into a novel. Um, Marian Wiggins, I love her, Rebecca Goldstein, those are writers whose sort of intellectual writing I really respect,, yeah. and I was trying to do that, um, but also talk about this this terrible disease.:
0: yeah, because Alzheimer's is something that that can take years, right? Like you get this diagnosis and it's
1: absolutely It's a
0: death sentence that can take forever and. And yeah, being able to explore not only I'm sure you explored your own in the moment um, Mm -hmm. emotions, right? But being able to explore what that person is going through and what they could have been like that. I'm sure that's very emotional for the for the whole process of that. Like, how how was it to then step back and say, I'm going to write this novel, which sometimes fiction can help readers, especially process.
1: I think so. Yeah. I think so. I I really do. Um the moment my mother was diagnosed, I realized that there would be no future for us yeah. in any traditional way. Yeah. You know, no terms of endearment. Oh, I'm so sorry, situation, no reconciliation. And I had to just accept that. I couldn't dwell on it, I couldn't worry about it. And so that's when I began to think about, all right, how are we all reacting to her? Mm-hmm. How is she reacting to us? What's left inside? Um, and it it seemed for me the only way to do that was to really step back. Almost, I just read a, a, a UIA novel that uh, takes place, and it's not The Lovely Bones, but it takes place. Uh, the narrator is a dead girl. Mm. and it was masterful and not that I'm doing that from here, but I do like this sort of high, high view Yeah, um, to take away some of the, the pain. It's, it's very painful to watch somebody die over 15 years, lose pieces of themselves. Um, And it's people deal with it in different ways for me. I needed to be able to deconstruct it, I guess I should say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I really like that. And I think anyone who's going through that, I'm sure it's different for everyone. It takes the years that it takes for everyone, but that, that seems like a lot to process. And then for just human sake and, you know, kind of in a colder way of like, it takes a long time (laughs) for that diagnosis to come through and life happens and you still have to deal with whatever personal things you're going through. And I, Oh,
1: and I still had children to raise. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going through a divorce. So yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) you know, though, I I will say, I think over the years of my life and I'm I'm no longer anything remotely young. Um, I, the more I get through, the more I get through. Mm, Yeah. So, um, both of my parents were ill critically at the same time. Wow. Divorced, separate illnesses. I had two kids. I had a a son who was having some issues. Um, I was divorcing. It it well, all this happened. So um I just had to make myself competent uh in a way that they got me through it. Right. I, you know, there was no other, there was nothing else to do. I, there wasn't an option uh to not do it. So I had to make decisions about her life. She chose to stay where she was. So uh, in New England, and I live in the South. So um, that meant an enormous amount of travel. But what it also meant was I didn't see her day to day deterioration. Mm. I saw it five times a year after a few months. And so it was, it was very profound. Right. Every time I visited her, it was, you could just you know first she can't use the telephone then she can't use her computer then she can't turn on her music then she can't watch television um, and then it just goes and goes and goes and each time those things happen you have to deal with them differently you have to deal with, with the person differently so um it's 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 a challenge
0: right right it is. And so as you're going through this, when you fictionalize this, did that help you then create this character where she's partly you, but also not you either? Like how, how was that in, in writing your characters in, in this book?
1: Yeah, she's, uh, she's maybe my best me. I mean, I'm not saying I wasn't successful in taking care of my mother. I think I was, but um I, wasn't sort of that intellectually inclined during the process of taking care of her i had to to step back to think about what a person would react to and also the form that i do it in the, the shiva form the morning form uh is a construct and that forced me to um to consider the spiritual side the jewish mm-hmm. side and also where our relationship fit into certain things like, you know, meals and, and prayer mm-hmm. and remembrance and, uh solace. So, um, so yes, it was a way to write a person, not unlike me, but less egocentric maybe, yeah. um, than a person in a memoir.
0: Yeah. And for an experienced writer like you, um, did that come pretty easily that you were going to do that? Cause I feel like the inexperienced writer might try to write it exactly as themselves. And Mm -hmm. in the end story can't be 15 years, right? Like there's so much that goes into living that doesn't and shouldn't come into the story. Right. So how, how, how did you come to that decision as an experienced writer? I guess is, is it something that now comes naturally to you? To make those decisions,
1: um, no, I think it was specific to this book. Okay. I, I've written other novels, have a long history of being agented and unagented, and winning contests and being shortlisted for contests, and longlisted. And so, I've you know, essentially, I've got a half a dozen novels in my drawer, and all of them are far more specifically fictional okay. than this. This format I did. On purpose, because I thought it was the only way I could tell this story. Mm-hmm. It may not have been, but for me, I said, I'm just not sure how to do this. Um, and t- tell the truth, mm. but also tell the truth with a ca- capital T. Yeah. And I think those are two different things. So, so this is my first effort at, and I may be my last at what I would call, you know, a hybrid yeah. a hybrid piece of work.
0: Yeah, and in choosing that format, I I think that that's a really wise decision, honestly, because I think it it's such a big topic. <laughs> you know, like for me writing a memoir, it just seems so big. Um I know other people I do it beautifully, it you know, and they they are not a And problem. a lot
1: of people fail. A lot yeah. of people can't do it and a lot of people get a lot of you know awful feedback from family members and True. um you know it's funny my I'm I have these, these complicated relationships with my sisters. I do have two sisters that's in the book and and I wanted to fictionalize my relationship with them and make it less complex because mm-hmm. I didn't think it needed to be in this case. but my youngest sister um told me she was afraid to read the book, oh really? and I said, you do know it's a novel, don't you? And I said, actually, I think you come off pretty good, you know, maybe better than you should. But, um, but so even, even in that case, I think people get very nervous about what is that joke about how everybody that's not in your book thinks they're in yeah. your book and everybody that's in your book never sees themselves in your book. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I always thought that I was like, so true. And I, and I, I, I just think it's, I was like, you can read this. It's not going to. I don't think your character is going to upset you. Um, you know, it's a sad book. Right. People are moved and sometimes have to put it down for a while before they finish it. And I get that, but I don't think people should be af- afraid of a character in the book, but. Right. You probably know. I mean, every writer knows this. It does happen you
0: know, a lot. Right? I, I think anyone who's not a writer, though, my um, I, I remember my very first book, you know, that book I you write when you're 18, you, mm-hmm. you know, you give to your family yep. members. You're very excited about it. And everyone thought that somebody, you know, who, who's this character? Which is this? And, mm-hmm. and I just think, like, it's interesting if they don't have that fiction mind, I guess, or that writer mind that they think that we can't make up characters or something like it
1: well yeah I mean actually everybody's you and everybody's not you right um so yeah I, I yeah it's odd it's it's odd I do think the general public often has a very hard time between fiction and nonfiction, which confuses me after after so many years um and because when I did my first reading for this this particular book um and it, it, you know people were awesome but a couple of questions I got were how, you know, did this, how did your family react to you writing about them? And I'm like, mm, that's not really what happened here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about the mother and the daughter. And, um, I, I can't be afraid if somebody seems to think that they, uh, you know, were portrayed badly, although my aunt, who's Hannah, in the book uh when i asked her how she thought what you thought of it she said you really love me don't you and i said yes i do i <laughs> really <nice>. love you <laughs> i mean she's 93 years old and going strong but i thought well you know you're an amazing person i made you an amazing well right yeah end, you
0: know? yeah i love that and i mean i think it's true that as writers we're constantly exploring the relationships that we have with other people whether they come oh, out yeah. you know specifically memoir specifically fiction all of our fiction characters are sort of the best fiction characters are us truly exploring that relationship yeah, with them, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and and also in my book, I didn't want to have one man. I mean, I was going through a divorce. I had relationships. I remarried, and so it's a composite. Mm-hmm. And my current husband is a doctor and was with us when she died. But the sort of decent, kind. Um, man that is in the book is a composite of of three very decent, fine men. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed, and also I have two children, not just one, but it, you know, you, you have to learn where to, to simplify because what, what's the story? What do you need to leave out in order to get to the main story? It's, it's, that's always the thing. Um, I sent this book out to an agent probably five years ago in one of its earlier incarnations. And he wrote back and said, you need to cut 10,000 words. And I was like, what? That's a lot. You, what? <laughs> and so I put it away. And about a month later, I looked at it and I thought, wow, he is right. Okay. And he was. Okay. It was. It made it a much better book. Um, so it's it's hard sometimes to know. You get so, you know, wedded to your darlings says so the they, but you do have to kill them you have to kill your darlings you have to pull stuff out i learned that in journalism right. You have to write it and then pull it out and sometimes the fifth paragraph of a story is the first paragraph and sometimes it's the end and you can't be wedded to every word but you can then make sure every word you do keep in
0: counts yeah yeah, because what you said before is like the, it's the story that counts, right? And I think um, as we grow as writers, especially when we're new, like I, I still consider myself new, but realizing that what it starts out to be might not be at all what it looks like by the end, because like you said, you have to simplify what is the story? Do I have to have all the characters, especially if you're basing it off of something you live through? Like, do I have to have all the kids? Can I just condense them into one? You know, because like you said, it's the relationship between the mother and the daughter that you want to get across to the reader.
1: Well, you know, I was uh, one of the maybe 50 semiotics majors in the country when I graduated from college. And um, one of the things, uh, it was reading, linguistics, writing. One of the things that one of my professors said was, you should always start a novel not knowing where you're going. Oh. Don't have it so complete split, let's say you know, which is what I write, but don't have it so structured that your characters can't surprise you. Okay. And and the ending of this novel came late. And it and, and it ends before the beginning. Oh, that's because interesting. of the of the prologue. So um but I felt like I needed to end it on a beautiful, hopeful moment, even though that was gone. Yeah. So I think you need to allow yourself to explore what your book is telling you while you're writing it. Don't, you know, don't be so um, closed off as it's got to be this and it's got to be that. I think it's going to teach you stuff.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, So you said that you worked as a journalist before, and I I from your bio, you've written a lot. Have you always wanted to be a writer? Is that what you sort of set out?
1: Yes. From
0: the time I was
1: able to put a pencil on paper, my mother
0: actually has
1: a two and a half page book that I started when I was eight uh, that I also illustrated. Nice. (laughs) And it's called Why is God Dead? Um, And it was. Because of that time magazine cover, which you're way too young to know about, but it was about Nietzsche yeah. and philosophy. And she kept it, which is delightful. It's very silly. Um, but yeah, I, I always knew I was going to write and I was, I was always good at it, but I needed to be a lot better. Mm. But I, 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 I had something, I think, some way of, Looking at the world, some way of thinking about the world that was different to many people that I knew, and I just figured that was it. I was also a big reader, really, and I still am. Yeah, if you're reading, Shades,
0: even if it's time article <laughs> at eight, you you definitely have a different way of looking yeah. at the world than most eight year olds. I would say.
1: Well, it's not. I'm not trying to super intellectual. I was just really curious. Right. And my parents, to their credit. Um, had a huge bookshelf full of Sollinger and Updike and Bellow and Roth and and you know just great stuff. And they were very, you know, they were very Fitzgerald, <laughs> you know, in their in their passion and their anger and everything. Um, but also very cultured. And so I was exposed to so many things so young that. Um, it just made me think about things differently. I, I know that I read some books way too early and I did reread them. But um there was just a wealth of, of knowledge in my house that I absorbed. Yeah. I just did in a way that not everybody else in the house did. So, and that's okay. I mean, I, I and I sort of try to pass that on to my kids too, like, you know, have bookshelves and, and let them, pick what they wanted out of. I never censored anything that they read, never told them that they were too young or it was too complicated. So,
0: yeah, I seem to remember like now we have all these genres and perhaps they were around yeah, in the eighties. It's but, kind of overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you said, I just read a YA, like I never would have thought of it like that as a kid. It's only now. No.
1: I just, <laughs> well, see, I never had, well, I'm so old. I never had YA. Yeah. OIA was, was Nancy Drew and <laughs> Trixie Belden and these, Teenage girls solving crimes. It was maybe one or two other things, but we never had this whole genre that was just for us. Right. Um, so you go from reading sort of children-y books to grown-up books, and there wasn't, um, you know, there also wasn't YA fantasy and YA witches and, and, <laughs> yes. uh, and this and that. And you read sci-fi that, that the grown up were reading. It wasn't sci-fi for, for your specific age group, but, you know, I like I grew you know my kids grew up with YA fiction, Harry Potter, Ellen Hopkins, et cetera, et cetera. But um, but I didn't, and so I read other stuff because that's what we had.
0: Right, right. It's whatever was on Grandma's shelf. Quite honestly, has your parents yep. dragged you <laughs> to visit? You know, like
1: oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. One of my most pivotal books I found in my grandmother's bookshelf called "Hooray for Me." And it was this incredibly obscure, it might not have been obscure when it was written, but Jewish novel. And I read it every summer I went to visit her. And I really should try to find it. I don't know what happened to it when she uh when she died, but it would just it was just one of those things that every summer when I went to visit her, I would think it was of. formidable. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So did you start out as a journalist, I guess. Um
1: I Something did that I, would pay. I, I think <laughs> yeah exactly. I think I was very worried. So I I I graduated college and while I was graduating college my parents split up. And um I I had been very lucky. My father, you know, this is of course back when college was a lot cheaper. He had saved money for his girls to go to school. And then they split up and it was very acrimonious. And I was gonna get an MA, um, but I couldn't justify, mm. it, and I I couldn't ask them for anything. So, I real that was you know my real break was really at eighteen leaving, and I just I didn't feel comfortable, and so I looked for for journalism jobs. Mm-hmm. And after six months of doing PR, I found a a job as an assistant editor of Boston Magazine. Oh, that's wow! I was living then, so and it was very heady times late seventies, so. Um, and I got to do some really great stuff. And then I I went on and to another publishing company and did a lot of editing and, and writing. So um, so yeah, that taught me a lot. Yeah. Taught me about discipline and and conciseness. And I edited a lot of writers who were much better known than I was, which also taught me that wow. you could make something better and they'll like it. And that helped me when I was edited so that was good yeah so then I did a lot of freelancing I did a lot of book reviewing um and then I got married and had babies <laughs> <laughs> so uh I did some more freelancing but I also started back writing fiction a lot more and that was when I wrote uh, my first book which wasn't published but did get me an agent at the time so I sort of did that in between my babies but um I was living in a small town. My husband, Ben, was a professor. We made very little money, but we didn't need a lot. Right. Uh, it was, you know, an academic town, and you could walk everywhere. And, and so I, I, it was easy to write. Not easy stuff, right, but I was manageable to write and raise babies. And I had two amazing sleepers, so that right. helped.
0: Um, Is that when you would write yeah, a lot so of th-
1: essays and... No, no, I did. So no. I did. I started writing short stories and novels and yeah. started publishing a bunch of short stories. And that went on for some time and writing novels and getting, you know, this close and yeah. that close. And then, um, oh, right, when Barack Obama was running for president, I got very involved in his campaign. Okay. I had then moved to a larger town and I was just gobsmacked by these young kids. Yeah. Heading the, the the offices of his campaign, and I really supported him, and so I went to work for them. And at that time, the Huffington Post had um, a lot of political writing, mm-hmm. and they had something called "On the Bus." And I submitted uh, some political pieces to them, and they loved them. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a lot of sort of political stuff. I went to Obama rally. James Webb did some just. Think pieces and stuff, and so wrote for them, and then I branched out into more personal writing, essay mm-hmm. writing, but a lot of it was political. So I did that for a while for a different bunch of different sites, uh, many of which have have or some of which have closed down now. But um, so that went on for several years, and I did my nonfiction book Desire, which um, I conceived and edited, mm-hmm. um, but I got essays from a lot of other women and i was in a bunch of anthologies with uh with essays so that sort of started that again and really i didn't do much fiction writing for years okay um i mean at if, at the same time so i was sort of writing this novel but i was writing a lot of essays right. about my mother's struggle right And the, the novel sort of coming in bits and pieces so you know when i say tell people took 12 years it did take 12 years every day or even 12 weeks of a week it, it just was yeah. like a
0: process yeah you're working in between but, I, it all
1: <laughs> I, I had some really good success yeah. as an essay writer and I realized that I was that that was a form I was really good at right um so so that made me happy and uh, it was different and um and I really enjoyed it and I had a lot of reader engagement which was that's fine which, which you don't which I hadn't had in print in the right. same way because it's not it doesn't go to so many people and you don't get it back. Right, right. So that was that was good. That was really, you know, pleasing. And I felt like I, I said some interesting and fun things. So um and but a sort of I needed to finish this book. Yes. And so that's what I concentrated on and kept trying to get out into the um into the public sphere. Yeah I
0: can imagine that this book once you really start thinking of it as not just sort of ethereal, but really putting it together, it would probably take a lot of energy to sort of see what, at what point did you decide that you were going to do it in the format of Shiva? So, and tell us what yeah. Shiva is for anyone who doesn't know.
1: Okay. Shiva is technically these, the week of mourning that the Jews do immediately after someone's die. So you, uh, you are at your house, you don't do not do anything. The rabbi comes and says prayers and your friends come and um or family obviously and um pray with you talk about uh the dead person talk about what the dead person left and uh feed you mm-hmm. so it's it's a very warm uh fuzzy time where you're not forced to mourn this person alone, okay, um, and it's 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 usually a, a primary family member—mother, father, grandmother, um, child. Okay. So, um, so because Alzheimer's is an interminable mourn. Yeah. I saw this as a metaphor. Okay. I saw breaking down the different elements of the shiva process. Into ways to explore the two characters and also mourn what could not be. Okay. And so, so the final uh, chapter is called um, "The Statements of Comfort for Those Who Remain Behind." Mm. Um, one of the things that's really pivotal, pivotal in Judaism is when someone dies, you are supposed to fill the hole that they left. Oh, wow. It's an awesome responsibility. Yeah. And um, if that person was unkind or cruel, you're um, you're not supposed to dwell on that. You're supposed to find the good that that person did and try to recreate that good because they've left a hole. And my mother was, uh, for all her issues, brilliant beautiful she taught me how to arrange flowers she taught me to appreciate appreciate art uh, i have many of her beautiful things around my house she volunteered she was very political a huge reader so i felt that those things needed to be carried on yeah by me as much as i as i could yeah um and so um you mourn and, and also shiva is very um concrete in a sense it's finite you are not supposed to Jews do not support interminable mourning Mm. it it needs to be done it has to be done but you must then even if you're sad even if you're crushed you must still move on and continue life because otherwise you haven't done the imperative which is which is to continue on Mm. and 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 be the light um so I wanted to bring in that Jewish aspect of it, also the Jewish aspect of honoring that mother and father. Yeah. Despite uh their their flaws. That's a big topic. Um, it's a huge topic. And I know people don't always agree with me. Right. And and I can right. I can deal with that. My sisters did not feel that. Hmm. Uh they wanted to blame her for so many things. And I said to them, We cannot blame her anymore. Yeah. She cannot be reached with our blame or our sadness. She is gone. So what happened until this moment is done. Right. And you just have to choose the the way to go on after that thing. I can or not. And I chose going on. I mean, I had I had to add kids and stuff, but I wasn't gonna break myself. But I, I I also needed I needed to feel like that I did the best by her that I could. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, that I had not abandoned her, um, even though in some ways she had abandoned me. Right. I did not want to live with that. Mm. I, I couldn't. I couldn't live with that.
0: So I, I really like this idea in this world that seems a little bit more chaotic. I don't know if you think that too, but I, I feel like oh my like god, it's chaos every day. <laughs> the world is chaotic, and oh. this it sounds really grounding to me. It doesn't sound easy at all. Um, but to be able to find that space, especially when someone's gone, to to be able to move on, that sounds very nice. And maybe not easy again, But but yeah, being able to have a process in which to do that, not just claim that you've moved on, but a process in which you and f- have reasons for doing it. it. It seems like a very nice way.
1: Format. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, there's something very orderly about Judaism, yeah. but I don't think it's, it's always that easy. I mean, I do say in the book that grief has it's, its own has its own timetable. Yeah, and I and I think it does. You know, and and nobody can tell you how long right. to grieve or how, but there comes a point, and and this is made in the religion where it's no longer productive. It's it's destructive, right? And so it's destructive to you because
0: uh, that person's gone. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And anybody around. Yeah. You. Um, and so the prayer, of the cottage that you say when somebody dies, is about honoring God. Mm. It's not about death. That's interesting. And that's what's really interesting. Yeah. Because it's it's a thank you for having had this person. Mm. And I do think that. Um, you need to be grateful for what what got you to the place you're you're at. Yeah, uh, to be really Southern about it. But um, yeah, I mean, I you know it, it was it was hard. A lot of things were hard. But but it's it just was. But it you is the person that
0: birthed you. Yeah, I mean, they do have yes. an influence oh on you God. for the better or for the worse. And to be able to, I like that idea of filling the hole of what's good and not dwelling on the bad. And I can see this book. I haven't read it yet. It's in the mail somewhere, <laughs> but I can see it as I would have it about um, how, how it can help anyone, in, whether it's Alzheimer's or, you know, whether the person has um, been gone for a while or not a different way to think of mourning, a different way of thinking and processing death and losing somebody I can see that, that this book would help.
1: I think it, I mean, I do think it's a unique, view mm-hmm. um i you know i have had great response from people oddly enough uh, i never even thought of men as an audience because i know the <laughs> women read more and um and they read like my husband reads science and science fiction and non-fiction and history yeah and, and he does read some some fiction but um but i've gotten these notes in fact the, i'm going to the montana book festival and the, the head of the book festival Sent me an email that said, "I love your book," oh, wow. and I was like, "Whoa!" You know, this unknown man yeah. that I haven't met yet. Um, so that was really, really That's good. And nice. I do have several friends who are going through, or have gone through, this whole Alzheimer's nightmare, and in my take is different. It's 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 bigger and smaller mm-hmm. than Alzheimer's, but um, but I do think it's it's helpful. To read things that might resonate, yeah. If you let them, yes,
0: yes. So, uh, is this the first book that you really intertwined faith and the story?
1: Yes, it is. I, I sort of did an a earlier version, not of, not with Alzheimer's, but sort of with the three generations of women in my family who are all crazy, <laughs> uh, which is in the which which I which is in the book I had experimented with that uh and written a novel and I thought it was really good uh but again it was uh it didn't make it to publication so um I thought all right well let's let's make this even bigger Mm -hmm. and and I and I I've noticed the older I get it really started when I had my children with my non-Jewish husband and um decided to raise them jewish but um i've just got i mean I, it's not like I keep kosher and I you know, go to the temple every every weekend but i'm i really do feel like like Judaism is for me a, a complete way of living mm. it's it's a way of looking at the world mm-hmm. and people uh that is absolutely informed by the tenets of of this faith and i Was lucky enough to be born into. So, um, and I think my rabbi once, a rabbi once said to me, you know, you don't practice Judaism, you live it. Mm. And, and I, and he was right. And I thought, okay, I, I get it. I can do that. That's what I, so, especially for, uh, reformed Jews. I mean, social justice, uh, racial equality, um, the whole abortion issue. It seen from a Jewish perspective is quite different than seen from some other perspectives, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I've, I've, and I also found that, um, that, that the the biblical imper- uh, imperative to, to honor one's parents helped me get through yeah. this whole thing.
0: Yeah. So, so, yes. I really uh, like, the faith um, is
1: important.
0: I like for, for anyone listening to see, like, I, I almost feel like you're showing religion in a different way and just a structure of living. Like you said, like it's not practice, it's lived, just as an insight into possibly dealing with the world. <laughs> you know, like you sound like a very reasonable person, a very, you know, active, politically active in, in your beliefs and um, your. On, on the whole world as a whole perspective, and I, I like that you haven't shied away from from saying, you know, I also have this other structure that I don't know. I don't know about out there. Sometimes people don't don't like to hear about religion, right?
1: <laughs> well, they don't because because it's been mangled. Yeah. Um, you know, look at Jimmy Carter. I mean, if ever a Christian there was, that's Jimmy Carter. He lives his Christianity. He doesn't force it on anybody else. He doesn't ask you to do what he does. He just does it. And I met people like that, halting my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've met the kind of Christians that had nothing. They wanted to do more than convert me. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a small town in the deep South and it was a constant struggle. So anybody who is, uh, and Jews do not proselytize. Mm-hmm. So that's something also that makes it somewhat, Less obnoxious, maybe, but um I mean, being a Jew is so complicated. <laughs> I've uh, heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> the world, you know, they hate us, they love us, they want to kill us, they want to defend us. It's like, hey, every day there's some new crisis. But, um but I do really feel like how I was raised and uh, what my faith is, is is how I operate day to day. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. It's how I feed my family. It's what I give my money to. Mm-hmm. It's how I behave with uh, strangers. All the things that, that that you're supposed to do that that I don't. I mean, I don't find them difficult. I find them necessary. Right. And I, you know, we're, we are so fragile right now. Um. So so possibly blowing up. Our, our society that I just don't I don't think any faith should should help that along and unfortunately that's what we're getting. Mm.
0: Yeah. I just think you've you've taken on two may, maybe not controversial but big topics and put it into one book and I, I commend you for that. I think it's a it's and it's
1: a little book too. It's, <laughs> it's not really it's kind of skinny. <laughs> It's not a. It's not a tome. It's not it's the not, stand by Stephen
0: King. It's not long gone with the wind or anything. <laughs> but I just I commend you for that. I think it's it sounds like a wonderful book, like a beautiful book, and I can't wait to read it. And um, it is called Shiva, a Shiva. novel from mm-hmm. memory by Lisa Salad. Of course, um, we will have the links in the show notes. But can you tell people where they can find you?
1: Yes, uh, you can go to my website, and you can find almost everything about me. Uh, also it has links to where you can buy the book if you want to do it independently through booktopia um, which supports independent bookstores mm-hmm. if you want to buy it from jeff buy it from jeff that's fine if you want to download the kindle that's there too and barnes and noble you can also um ask i mean i have friends all over the country asking their bookstores to yes. order it, which they are so you can do that Wonderful. and get it in a couple of days so there's it's it's not self-published so it's 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 available everywhere and yeah wonderful and
0: we'll have links to um to your website and it sounds like you might be doing some in-person things so are you on social media can people see you there
1: i i am on twitter far too much yes Uh, especially especially political twitter it's it's
0: oh yeah that'll take up your whole day
1: you absolutely <laughs> but yeah i'm on facebook i'm on twitter i i have an instagram account but i, I don't know, i think i'll old for instagram i just you know and, and I was reading too many her, this article about this woman who does all these book talks and now she's made herself a national best and i'm like ah you know i just don't it's not me and also i just don't have that kind of energy <laughs> desire uh, I'd really rather read a book yes. uh, than do that. So I, I think maybe I'm the wrong generation. For
0: that. <laughs> yes, we should do what we are most comfortable with because that's, that's well, what's going to work. We'll, right? so, well, thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on uh, the show. Oh, thank
1: you for having me. It was delightful. I think you're great. So thank you so much. And I'd love to know what you think about the book when you read it. And I loved your question. So thank you very much.
0: If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group.